This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Earl Leglider. He has taught various science courses for over 20 years and has been awarded the Presidential Award for Excellence in Math and Science Education. He's also received the American Physical Society Distinguished Physics Teacher Award, along with various other recognitions. He currently coordinates the STEM Noise Scholars Rural Education Program and teaches a STEM Rural Education Seminar at Fort Hayes State University. Earl also provides NGSS professional development for teachers in Kansas. Here's my interview with Earl. Hi, Earl. How you doing? Hi, Mark. It's nice to be with you today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I've gotten a little bit of information about you, but why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about your uh, educational background? My college background is that I went to the University of Kansas where I picked up a degree in biology. And uh, after I completed that degree, I uh, decided I wanted to be a teacher. So I went to Fort Hay State University to uh, get my teaching licensure. Um, and uh, I then had taught in mostly rural schools throughout my career. And what I found in working in rural schools is that I had to teach uh, chemistry and physics and biology and earth science. And, you know, so I had lots of things I had to teach. And of course, I was not well prepared to teach in physics. So I, you know, I graduated from the university with like seven credit hours in physics. And uh, so I had to brush up on physics, which got me started in modeling instruction. So how were you introduced at first to the modeling methodologies and instruction? Well, I got a letter from Jane Jackson, I think, uh, that mentioned the modeling program at uh, Arizona State University back in 1995. And uh, I was pretty much unaware of uh, modeling instruction at that time. And I knew I wanted to try to do something to improve my teaching of physics, you know, because I had been very traditional in my methods. You know, I was a lecturer and, you know, uh, uh, but I knew there was better ways to teach. And so when I got the letter, I decided to apply and I was surprised when they accepted me because, you know, I was kind of a crossover teacher. I didn't have much background in physics. So I was a little bit worried <laughs> about going to the to the workshop in 1995 because I knew there would be other teachers who were much better prepared in physics than I was. So as a result of attending the workshop, did it change your opinion about teaching physics, or how did it impact you? Oh, absolutely. It completely changed the way I teach, taught physics, and it also changed the way I taught everything. Um, huh. The I was part of the leadership group in 1995 where we spent five weeks at Arizona State that summer 
And then the following summer, we spent additional five weeks. And, um, and then we had a third summer where it was like a two week, I think it was two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So um, I had, I guess, some really good training in modeling instruction. And of course, after uh, I received the training, I was using it in my high school physics class, you know, at, at a high school I was teaching at at the time. I know that you like to help create student engagement and in your classrooms and, and helping develop the ability to manage discourse in the classroom. I know that's a focus of yours. Tell our listeners about how you're doing that, how you're creating that student engagement, and how you're managing discourse in the classroom. Yeah. Well, that actually has evolved over the years. Sure. And um, I think that Early on, I was reasonably good at uh, involving all of the students, uh, engaging them in uh, sharing their ideas and so on. Um, mostly this came about through uh, techniques I learned at the workshop, uh, mm. you know, the circle whiteboarding, the uh, listening to having randomly selected presenters. And uh, so students knew that there would come a time when they were going to be presenting a whiteboard solution or whatever, or a, a lab uh, result at, at some point. And so they became quite comfortable with uh, getting in front of the classroom and discussing the physics that we were trying to learn. And, um, uh, and, and I think I was very supportive in um, helping them feel comfortable in front of the classroom, starting out with them going up as a group and eventually going up as an individual where they had their, their partners at the table to help them out as if they needed it. And uh, uh, organizing the classroom in such a way that everybody felt like they could contribute to the discussion and uh, not fear being ridiculed for it. You know, mm -hmm. the only rule I had for in, in my classroom is that everybody had to be nice. Mm -hmm. You know, they had to be nice to each other. And of course, they had to be nice to me. I always liked that, too. You know? yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But over the years, I kind of evolved in terms of um, how I am selecting groups now. And, and what I'm doing is I'm changing up groups frequently. And so when students come into the classroom, they are randomly assigned groups in a way that they don't, they understand that. So basically I have a set of cards, playing cards. They come in and they, they pick a card and they realize that's their group for the day. Okay. And then uh, I am asking them to uh, work on problems on vertical whiteboards rather than sitting at their tables. And so uh, basically this gives them a chance to stand up and I think they have better engagement when they're standing rather than sitting. Hmm. And so we have like, you know, half a dozen groups around the room that are working on vertical whiteboards, solving problems, discussing in their groups and so on. And then they uh, <clears throat> share that out with the, you know, their solutions or their proposed solutions with the rest of the uh, group. Yeah, that's great. Where are you teaching now? Well, actually, I, I currently work at Fort Hay State University. I'm not a physics teacher at the current time. Uh, it's been a while since actually I've been in the classroom, but I continue to offer 
a large number of uh, modeling instruction workshops. And that was one of the uh, things that was, I guess, a spinoff of the workshop in Arizona uh, so many years ago. Um, we were trained as modeling workshop leaders. And I wasn't really sure what that meant at the time. Now, are you talking about back at 1995? 1995, yes. That workshop at Arizona State University was a uh, leadership development workshop. Mm -hmm. And so I think the expectation is that we would be trained to go out and uh, uh, share what we have learned with others. Okay? Yeah. So... <clears throat> During the summer of 1997, when uh, they, uh, the group met again for a two-week session at ASU, I wasn't able to attend. And actually, what I chose to do during that summer is to spend two weeks hiking in Philmont Scout Camp with my son on a Boy Scout uh, trip, uh -huh. uh, backpacking trip. And... Uh, I felt a little guilty about that. So when I went back to, uh, um, to my home in El Dorado, Kansas, I uh, had contacted a physics professor at Wichita State University to tell him about the uh, modeling workshop and how it was a, a great new way to teach that I wanted to share with other teachers. And he and I uh, put together a grant proposal, which at the time was an Eisenhower grant proposal that uh, provided funding for my first modeling workshop, which I did at Wichita State in 1998. And I think I was probably the first one, uh, person from that group of teachers that uh, got the funding to actually lead a modeling workshop uh, like I had at Arizona State. Wow. Of course, that was only a three-week workshop as opposed to the five weeks uh, for two summers we did at Arizona State. Yeah, I think it's very rare that there's a five-week workshop anymore these days. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it is. It's yeah. either two or three. Yeah. So you've been leading workshops since 97. That's just awesome. Correct. Um, okay, I have to, the, a couple questions <laughs> floating around in my head. First, let me ask you, um, what are you doing at the university these days? What's your focus? Right now, I am, uh, my major responsibility is to train pre-service teachers. And uh, so I am teaching a seminar class whereby uh, students are learning about teaching STEM, next generation science standards approaches to teaching STEM, science and math. And also the focus is on rural communities. Hmm. And so these teachers, these young people, uh, eventually uh, work in a rural setting, mostly in Kansas, but other states as well. They are awarded a uh, NOICE scholarship. Ah. Uh, this scholarship is like $14,000 per year. And for each year that they uh, accept the scholarship, they teach in a rural school district for a couple of years. So it's a great, it, it, and of course, I'm using modeling techniques as, as part of my seminar class. Right. We do uh, like a three-week unit on modeling instruction, which is basically an introduction to it so that they have some idea of what it's all about. And of course, then they can use some of that. 
The other part of my work at Fort Hayes State is I'm also involved in research. Uh, we have a research project that uh, takes up about half of my time. Cool. So those students, when you introduce them to modeling techniques, you know, do you find that a lot of them will go on and, and attend a full-on workshop with AMTA? But certainly it's something that we try to, to encourage. Uh-huh. Um, I offer workshops at uh, Fort Hay State during the summer as well. Mm. Usually, you know, I'm thinking this has been a while now because of COVID. Uh, but, you know, we did a chemistry workshop, uh, I think, in 2019. I'm doing a workshop uh, in, in a school district in southeast Kansas this summer, which is an introduction to, uh, to modeling instruction. So during the summertime, uh, most every summer, I am doing one or more workshops. And I've had a lot of support for that in Kansas. Mm, good. Uh, you know, I started out in Wichita, Kansas, Wichita State University, and then a neighboring university uh, found out about it and had uh, actually um, gotten, this is Emporia State University that uh, uh, got me started with doing some modeling workshops. And this is like in the early 2000s. And then, of course, Fort Hay State University has uh, uh, had gotten a funding for um, a three summer workshop that we did. We did as a partnership between Fort Hay State University and Emporia State University, whereby uh, we had like a chemistry modeling workshop in Emporia State, physics modeling workshop at Fort Hay State. And so uh, teachers could choose. Uh, where they wanted to attend. And, and that project went on for three years. Um, then there was um, uh, an MSP-funded project at Wichita, uh, the Wichita School District that was a three-year project. We also did a project in Topeka. So around the state, uh, there had been quite a number of opportunities for teachers to get trained in modeling instruction and uh, really has, has made a difference, I think, in the state. But at the same time, I've done workshops in uh, various other states, including California, New Mexico, Colorado, Michigan, Missouri, Utah. Um, and so, you know, and all of that, you know, developed from that initial leadership workshop back in 1995. Yeah. So well, probably to date, I've probably done about 20, 25 workshops yeah. in modeling instruction. So after doing that many, I mean, obviously, you're uh, a very proficient and uh, I would call an expert in modeling instruction. What, what are the things that you've learned from doing all those workshops? What are some key points and, and recognitions that you've developed from doing that many workshops? Well, I think um, for teachers, it's a journey. Mm. You know, it is a, a, a process where by you can, you can get started with modeling and you can implement it in your classroom, but it takes uh, repeated practice to become good at it. And uh, uh, teachers, um, I think are reflective in terms of how it's going and they, and they are um, continually improving their skills. Now the, uh, the workshop I'm doing this summer in Goddard 
was uh, brought to my attention by a former participant in the Wichita workshop in 1998. Huh. And he had he has some teachers that are not doing well in their instruction to their physical science course. Hmm. And so he's asked me to to come to do a workshop there. And uh, uh, so, you know, he's been doing the modeling instruction for uh, what 20 some years now. And, and, and it takes uh, it takes practice. You've got to continually, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, but you keep working at it and you keep getting better at it. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what I think uh, teachers need to understand. You're not going to be perfect the first time you you try it. <laughs> right. You got to stick with it. You got to continually refine your your work and so on. Yeah. We'll get back to my conversation with Earl in a bit. But first, I want to let you know that the American Modeling Teachers Association teaches an instructional strategy called Modeling Instruction, which builds conceptual understanding, improves classroom discourse, and engages students in the learning process. And now the AMTA has posted their slate of virtual and face-to-face courses for 2022. You can see the full list with details at modelinginstruction.org. That's modelinginstruction.org, where you can also learn more about modeling and become a member for access to many resources. Now, back to our interview. Are there other tips or or advice that you would give to teachers starting out in modeling or even people who've been doing it for a while? What what would be the top your top tips or or recommendations for people? I think you need to um, let your community know that you're doing things differently and what your expectations are. You know, you are expecting to build a classroom where students are being asked to think rather than being the passive recipient of information. And some people get in trouble for that. You know, because they'll hear complaints from parents that say, well, the teacher's not answering my students' questions, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and that does happen. And, and so uh, I think you need to see one thing you need to do is to be patient with the process. Let parents know what you're doing. Let, it, let other mm-hmm. teachers know what you're doing and let administrators know what you're doing and give them an opportunity to see it in action. Mm-hmm. You know, once administrators see it in action, they come to understand that what you're doing is you're developing and using models, which is one of those science and engineering practices from NGSS. And they come to realize this is what science instruction is supposed to be like. Right. But they don't realize that at first. (laughs) Yeah. So That's really good advice. I I read in in a... um in a document you sent me that you seek to build a thinking classroom. Right. Tell us what you mean by that term. Okay. Well, the expectations is that students are expected to think in order to learn physics. And of course, when they're uh, developing a model, they have to be able to uh, build that model with the various representations of the model and then be able to use it in practical problems. And so 
we begin the lesson with a thinking task. Okay, so when students come into the classroom, they're, uh, they may be asked to complete a problem um, that engages their thinking. And, the, and I talked about how we frequently form new groups. And uh, so when they come to the classroom, they are, are assigned a new group and they are uh, going to be solving a problem using the vertical whiteboards in, in their group. And so there's a lot of discussion that goes on uh, with uh, um, helping students realize that in order to do, learn physics, and I think it's true in order to learn anything, it's going to take significant effort on your part. You know, I, I can help you with that, but I can't do it for you. So you have to come into the classroom expecting to think and use your reasoning ability to make sense of the content. And that's so actually that comes from that. Those ideas come from a, a new book I came across uh, that is called Building Thinking Classrooms by Peter Ledgedol. It's a hard name to say. But uh, that book uh, I, I actually used in my uh, course at the university with the math people to help them understand that, you know, you, uh, students probably don't learn math very well by copying what the teacher is doing and trying to uh, do problems by um, repetition, by trying mm -hmm. to simulate, trying to follow the instructions the teacher gives. You know, what we really need them to do is to think about uh, the math, make sense of the yeah. math that way. My wife has talked often about the fact that one of the things that she struggles with in the classroom is students coming in to her high school classroom. She teaches chemistry in the sophomore year. Mm -hmm. But one of the things she talks about is how unprepared her students often are in their math understanding that she's often having to bring them up to speed in, in math. Do you, what's your experience with uh, yeah, um, dealing with that issue? Right. Students uh, are not well prepared in math. And I think it's largely because the way math is traditionally taught. Um, one thing happens though, in, in a modeling classroom, students, tend to improve their math skills. And the reason that is because they are using multiple representations of a concept. And, you know, it's like uh, they have a, diagrammat a diagrammatic representation of a motion map. And uh, they have graphical representations of that motion. And now when they're applying math, you know, they're doing an acceleration problem, then um, they can see uh, what that mathematical model represents from their diagrams and their graphs, and then it makes a little more sense to them to be able to make those connections. But yeah, but um, I, I taught uh, physics to ninth graders, uh, physics first approach when I was uh, in, in high school teaching. And uh, what we did is the people who enrolled in the freshman physics course um, had completed algebra on the eighth grade level. Right. And uh, so they did have some math background, 
But during the course of the um, the physics course, then they were able to include or improve their math skills, I think, significantly, because they begin to see why math is important, where it can be applied, and where they can make sense of it. And uh, actually, just this just as an aside, <laughs> I had um, I had students in physics in the physics first their freshman year. And uh, I gave them the FCI as a pre and post test. And I kept their post test scores um, from the FCI when they were freshmen. And then when they started physics in their senior year, a second physics course, I gave them the FCI again. Hmm. And I was surprised because the average score between their freshman year and their senior year was the same. Huh. They they didn't lose it over over years. They reta- retained that knowledge. Wow. Which is impressive, I think. Mhm. It is. So you you mentioned that at the university you also do a lot of research um through in your department. Uh and I think I read that some of it was about professional development needs for science teachers. And you did some surveys and, and that you've done some research around that. What, what have you discovered about the professional development needs of science teachers uh, through your research? Well, this, this research project is, is not a, a modeling workshop per se, uh, uh, research per se. But what we're doing is uh, we um, have provided some professional development uh, for middle school biology, life science teachers. Hmm. And we did a face-to-face workshop on campus with a cohort of about 20 teachers. Mm-hmm. And at about the same time, we did a, uh, a, an online version of the workshop with about a group of 20 other teachers. And what we're doing is we're comparing the two groups. The The thing is, in rural states like Kansas, people frequently have to travel long distances to get to a face-to-face workshop. Mm, right. And so what we're trying to do is to develop a model for delivering online professional development. Mm. And so now we're in the uh, process of collecting data and comparing the results of those two separate professional development modalities. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that works. And I think if we can make it work, we can use what we would like to do is to adapt the modeling instruction to a online program. Okay. Now, do you so mean that's... like offering online workshops for modeling? Is that what you're talking Correct. about? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I know there's been some of that, especially through the pandemic years. Right. Um, there's been some work at that. My wife has been involved in both face-to-face, several of those, as well as some online. She greatly prefers the face-to-face. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, you know. I, I do, too. I do, too. Um, but, you know, sometimes that option isn't available. Right. Right. You know, with the pandemic and, of course, with uh, teachers that might have to travel. Mm-hmm four or five hours to get to a place, which happens in yeah. Kansas. Yeah, you know, and, so. and the costs involved in that. Yeah. Right. So what do you find to be the greatest advantage of a face-to-face workshop? 
there there is so much more that goes on to in a face-to-face workshop and that may be things that go on outside of classroom time and you know the teachers get to know each other they get to you know it's the social uh knowledge that they develop and they make connections with each other that they can use then to um develop a professional network with people that were in their class. You know, it's kind of like the uh, modeling listserv that started way back, yeah. you know, in 1995. And uh, uh, that professional uh, uh, networking is critical, I think, for people who are trying to implement modeling instruction on their own, you know, in an isolated classroom, and they need support of each other. Right. So what we've done is we in some of our workshops, we've provided, you know, smaller subsets of uh, a listserv or Facebook kind of com- uh, communication groups. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, when I uh, this is 20 years ago, I did uh, a workshop and the teachers decided that they needed to to form their professional network. And so. They formed a, a Facebook group, which was called the Kansas Modeling Physics Group. Hmm. And uh, and I was unaware of this. And pretty soon I got an email from some from one of the participants and said, you know, you really need to join this group. And I did. Uh, and it was kind of funny, uh, Mark, because uh, that, I wasn't on Facebook at the time. And so I joined the group and I had three Facebook friends. My wife, my son, and my daughter. And pretty soon, my uh, daughter was getting messages that said, please help Earl Legleiter make friends. Because <laughs> I didn't have any friends in, in my Facebook group. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of uh, resources available on the uh, AMTA website. And, and through their efforts and stuff, are, have you been connected with that? I've been a lifetime member of AMTA. Mm. Uh, I served as the president of AMTA, and this is oh. probably about 10, 15 years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. And when I was president of AMTA, that was the first year we had a uh, AMTA summer conference, which is continuing today. And uh, so, and, and, Actually, I am currently uh, temporary vice president of AMTA because oh. they had a, a, they needed a, somebody to step in for just a short term, and uh, been working with AMTA as vice president for about a half year now. But I think my uh, this is going to end probably once the new election, which is probably coming up next month or so. Yeah. Wow, so you've invested a lot over the years into AMTA's efforts. That's great. I'll just mention for our listeners, if you're not already aware, the AMTA uh, website can be, you can get into it through modelinginstruction.org on your browser. So if you want to learn more about the AMTA, that's the place to do it. There's a lot of information there. Yeah, and it's important to be a member uh, because, um, you know, you have access to all of the curriculum materials and, you know, uh, hmm. so, um, and of course, all of the uh, communication that goes on on that website. Yeah, I know you can find out about their 
workshops, you know, that are scheduled and how you can uh, get registered for those or attend a virtual workshop online or, or attend a face-to-face workshop, usually during the summer months. That's awesome. So modeling, uh, boy, when you were introduced to it, it, it really impacted your career, it seems like. How would you define your relationship with modeling and, and uh, the impact it has had? Well, it completely changed the way I was teaching to begin with. Mm-hmm. But also, it helped me to develop my leadership capacity. Mm. You know, I, I, over the years, I was able to do things I wouldn't have really thought I would have been able to do. Uh, you know, with leading workshops and so on. And, you know, it it was something that I bought into because I knew students were learning physics and I knew it was a better way to teach. You know, so then, of course, I expanded that to include modeling chemistry, modeling biology or whatever it was that that I, I was teaching. And since I was at a rural school, I was teaching a lot of different sciences. But modeling also uh, mm-hmm. gave gave me an opportunity to be awarded various teaching awards that uh, wouldn't have happened. <laughs> it just wouldn't have happened, you know, because I was just an ordinary teacher, maybe better than some, but probably not as good as a lot of them. <laughs> and but it made me it made me a, a great teacher, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to share about modeling. I think, you know, um, more people need to know about it. More people need to uh, step up and, and engage in modeling instruction because it, it makes a big difference for students. Well, thanks. And uh, again, for you taking the time to do this <laughs> interview has been great. And it's been very informative. And I know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So I just want to say thank you, Earl, for taking the time to do this with me. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Glad to do it. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.